We use the word blessing a lot, don't we? That was a blessing. She's a blessing. You know, and I wonder, do we understand really what the word blessing means when we use it? Or could we explain it to somebody else when we say uh, that's a blessing? Because that's kind of uh, what they call Christianese. That's Christian vocabulary. What, what do you think a blessing means? What would you say if someone asked you, what's a blessing? Or let's say one of the kids here at, at the church. Hey, there's an old saying. You know, he said, well, Grandma, he, he's a serial killer. Uh-huh. Yeah, bless his heart. That's, that's what we say right before we're about ready to say something. <laughs> we were honest about something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a way of kind of giving a backhanded yeah. compliment. So what would you say a blessing? Because I've, uh, I've been in ministries where I'm around people who are unchurched. Uh, they're practical atheists, and they have no Christian background. And you use these words, and then you have to stop and kind of... Explain what you meant by that. So a blessing. What is a blessing? It's obviously a good thing, right? As opposed to a bad thing. It's a good thing. thing. Yes. And when we refer to it, uh, we're referring to it as uh, the source of the blessing, being God. So it's a part of our faith, right? Um, But it's kind of tough to, to define, really. A blessing. I guess we'd have to ask old Mr. Webster in his dictionary. But here's some of the blessings we've learned about. The blessing of reconciliation. That our relationship has been been uh, mended with God. Blessings of forgiveness and the new life in Christ. Uh, the blessing of intercession. You know, that, that, that word intercession, praying on behalf of others, that really is a blessing. It's not a duty. It's a privilege that we get to be able to pray and have a ministry of prayer. It's a privilege to have that. And uh, the blessing of liberty in Christ. So we're set free to do good. We're not under the bondage of sin, not under the law. The blessing of belonging in Christ. The blessing of, uh, of God's help in the midst of our trials. The blessing of God's comfort. The blessing of godliness. The blessing today of spiritual fruit. So that brings us up to where we are. And the next quarter, we're looking at uh, an entire quarter of learning about Christ. And I look forward to that. Um, Just an entire quarter, all on the life and ministry of Christ and and the meaning of His life for us. So that's going to be great. Going March through May. Okay, so let's get in today to the blessing of spiritual fruit in chapter 5, verse 18. Now, what we're looking at here, and I drew this picture of of a grape cluster, and this is the fruit of the vine. And what we're looking at today is what the Spirit of God will produce in our lives uh, if we walk in the Spirit. And that's opposed to walking in the flesh, which is bad, right? Um, what God wants from every Christian and what ought to characterize the life of every Christian in this church is holiness, holiness. Sadly, that does not characterize the life of most Christians today, but we ought to, our heart cry ought to be God, make us holy people, right? Amen. And, uh, you know, there's, yes, go ahead. You can judge a tree by its fruit. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Some 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 vine trees are producing sour grapes. Yes. Exactly. And uh, just like I said, just feel free at any time to to come into the conversation here. That's what Sunday school's like in this church. We're trying to make that way. So, uh, what about uh, the old saying, do as I say, not as I do. Have you heard that around here, around this area? We were raised that way. Right? That, that was in the book here. Yeah, yeah, and we say that. What do we really mean by that? What do you think we mean by that? I, I think it's that, you know, I'm the authority figure. Yes, you have to follow authority. Without authority, the whole society breaks down. But a person who says that, I guess they're, they're saying, you know, you can't watch what I do because, you know, I'm not perfect. You should be better than me. You should be better than me. Yeah, maybe it comes from a life of realizing, you know, if I look too long at myself, I got a lot of things I, I'm not proud of, I guess, you know. But still, it's not a good statement, is it? <laughs> You, you gotta, you got, your, your life has to match your lips, right? And so I think that's where, for us, we're all sinners here, right? And sinners saved by grace. That's where I just think we need to be open and honest and, and show some humility. And you know, say, I'm not proud of a lot of things that I've done, but I'm trying by God's grace to walk in the Spirit. And, uh, and I want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Amen. So... Uh, that's the idea in this passage. So looking at this blessing of spiritual fruit, we're going to look at the Christian's character. And let's pick up now in verse number 18. Paul warned his readers just previously in verse 17, affirming that we believers still struggle with sin and uh, we do not always do what we ought to do. You know, can you see that in, in verse 17? As believers in Christ, with the indwelling Spirit, we still sin. Not just that we struggle with sin, we still sin. So verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. That is, not on your own. So, as Christians, we do still sin. You have two natures in the life of a believer, right? You have the old man, the old nature, the carnal side of you, the flesh. That's the old nature. That's still active in you. Um, You have the new nature, the new man, which you've been born again, and you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, and your spirit now has new life, And you have this new life within you, a new nature that wants to do the things that the Spirit of God wants to do. Does that make sense? You have the old man and the new man. The old nature, the new nature. The flesh and the Spirit. You have those two going on. And Christians do sin. So we need to start out by by saying that. We don't always do what we should do. We don't always do even what we want to do. We desire to honor Christ. If you're a Christian, yes, you have a desire within you to honor Christ with your life. So Paul reiterated that. However, the answer is not to put ourselves under the law. In verse 18, it's not to put ourselves under the law. He says, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. That's where we need to get ourselves to. 
to the place where we're led of the Spirit day after day. And he says, if you do that, you're not under the law. You know what he's saying? Paul is saying that this law of the Old Testament Jew and the new, the new life in the Spirit, they're like oil and water. They, they do not go together. He's saying that if you're trying to keep the law to produce holiness in your life, it's not going to happen. If you want to produce holiness, you need to walk in the Spirit. Now, now back here in Galatians, they had the opportunity. He's talking to Christians who have been deceived by Judaizers, is what we call them. They're people, Jews, come from Jerusalem who are saying to these Christians who are following Christ... Uh, and they're Jewish Christians, and they're following Christ, and they're saying, you've got to keep the law as well as believe in Jesus Christ. And they were trying to pull them back under the law. By that I mean temple worship, sacrifices, and so on. And look, today we really can't be under the law, technically. I don't think we can, because there's no temple. There are no sacrifices. There's no priesthood. The Aaronic priesthood and the Levitical priests, they're gone. So you really technically can't go under the law. But what we could do today is we could either make the mistake of thinking that the Ten Commandments is like a ladder that I need to climb to get to heaven. And so we think that that's my religion. If I keep the Ten Commandments, God will let me go to heaven. That's a great mistake. But as believers, could we really go under the law? Well, we might think this. What I just said, I was talking about salvation. We might think that we can follow the law for sanctification. In other words, if I keep a list of all these do's and all these don'ts, and if I write all these down and if I figure out, okay, just as long as I'm doing all these things more than I'm not doing all these things, then I must be progressing in a life of holiness, sanctification. I must be set apart for God because I'm keeping a list. And what that does is that leads to legalism, right? And that also leads to pride, to I am better than you, or our denomination is better than you, because we're keeping this strict set of rules. I think that's the only way in which we could really put ourselves under the law. Yes, right. Then what, where is the sacrifice of Christ? So Paul is saying to these Jews uh, back in the first century, don't listen to these Judaizers who are trying to pull you back under the law. You're free from all that. You're free from all that temple worship. And, the, and you're free from all the strict rules of the Pharisees. They went above and beyond what the Old Testament law said to do. So he says you're free from that. And as a matter of fact, your old man has been crucified with Christ. And he goes on to tell them all kinds of things. And Paul is saying this. Don't follow those Judaizers. Follow me. And I'm going to show you the way that you can actually accomplish holiness in your life. If you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Is that fair enough, you think? Anything else that you'd add to that? The author here, he says, uh, Christ has freed us from the bondage of the law. And you can see that back in chapter 3, verse 25. It says, But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Under the law. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and empower us to please God. Thus a Christian can be characterized as one who is led of the Spirit and not under the law. 
So that's what we're free from. We're free from the law, from a uh, strict kind of a religion, legalism. You're free from that. And now you can walk in the Spirit. Now, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, right? So that we cannot do the things that we would. I'm going to tell you this. You can't walk in the Spirit. But listen, God says, walk in the Spirit. So you say, what's the answer? You can't do it. You have to yield, give your life to the Spirit of God. Some people say, when they talk about salvation, they say this. They say, what I want you to do at the end of my message is I want you to come down to the altar and I want you to give your heart to God. God don't want your stinking heart. Let me explain. They'll say, listen, at the end of this message, I want you to come down to the altar and I want you to give your life to God. And they're talking to people about getting saved. That's not salvation. Salvation is not giving your heart to God. Salvation is not giving your life to God. Salvation is believing on Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Once you get saved, then give your life to God. God can't do anything with your life until you get saved. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And your stinking heart is no good. Neither is mine. Without the Spirit of God ruling. Without Jesus on the throne. You see, you hear people say that stuff, and it's not biblical at all, and it confuses people about what salvation is. And what that preacher is saying is he's saying, I'm tired of people coming up here and one, two, three, pray with me, and then you go out and your life's not changed. So if you really want to be saved, you've got to totally commit your life to God. That's not salvation. That's discipleship. You know? So you can't walk in the Spirit. But if you'll give your life to Him, yield your life... And that's a matter of trust and faith. The Spirit of God can take over. So, we have to be led by the Spirit, verse 18. And our lives should not be marked by fleshly works. Look at verse 19. Chapter 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these... So they're visible, you can see them. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness... Idolatry, witchcraft. Look at verse 21. Envyings, murders. So you got strifes, hatred in verse 20. Fighting, fight, 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 fight. Envyings, murders, even drunkenness, revelings. You know, I I saw something yesterday, and I guess I'm kind of getting a little bit soft. I saw something yesterday. Beth gives me news items. She'll text them to me or email them to me. And uh, it was a teacher out in California, who took a Nintendo Switch away from a 17-year-old boy in, in a public school in California. And this, this poor teacher uh, received a beating that almost killed her for taking away a Nintendo Switch from a six foot six, 260-pound, I think, black boy. And he stood up, and he proceeded to just beat her to the ground and hit her 15 times. And it's all on camera. And I didn't even want to watch it. I didn't want to watch it. That poor lady's still trying to do her job. And you know what? None of the other teachers helped. I guess for fear that they might be brought under charges for, you know, for trying to restrain a black person. I don't know. But what's the Nintendo doing in school anyways? Right? And they say, you know, uh, 
Don't worry about it. He's making threats. When I come back to school, if you try to take it away again, I'll do the same thing all over again. And they say, don't have to worry about that because he won't come back to school. And you know that's not true. You know he's not going to get justice. And where's, where's the firestorm of, of the social media posts and things about this lady and getting justice for this lady? Where's that? It's not happening because the media doesn't want it to happen. But what is that? That's the works of the flesh. That's addiction. There's strong addictions to those screens. And it's dangerous to let kids be on those screens all the time. And why was he on it in school, right? Yeah, no control, I guess. But, you know, that's, that's the works of the flesh. That's what we're capable of. That's what kids are capable of if you just, there's no restraint, right? And I tell you, I didn't even want to watch the video. Feel sorry for the lady. I uh, didn't want to watch the video, and then all the po- all the all the all the comments underneath it were like uh, racist Ku Klux Klan stuff, like white Aryan racism. I mean, just one after another underneath there. And you know what that stuff's based on? That stuff's based on evolution. They called the the black boy that did that. They call him uh, outdated farm equipment, things like that, and. Uh, lower species and the integration of a lower subspecies with a higher species hasn't worked obviously and we need to stop this all that stuff what is that stuff what is that flesh that's the flesh hatred hatred of the black race that's the flesh beating up a woman skinny looked like she was maybe 30 years old beating that woman like that just awful awful stuff that's happening all around us everywhere we go well, in the church, it shouldn't be that way. You know what? If you get young people under the ministry and the influence of the church, you can keep them from turning out like that. I mean, we, we don't bat a thousand, but you can keep... We, ha- we have to believe that that's possible. Amen. Uh, so those are the works of the flesh. Now, can Christians do those things? Oh, yeah. I've heard tell. tell. I've never seen it, but I've heard tell of... Of deacons beating up the preacher in business meetings and deacons beating up each other. And we got a, we got a good one here. We never have to worry about that with Brother Adam. Um, but we're blessed here, but it's happening. It's, it happens. Uh, so as Christians, our character in verse 19 is also marked by the absence of the works of the flesh. Or at least it should be. So Paul now pr- proceeds to list some obvious sins that characterizes, and he's not dealing with everything. It's just representative. It's not exhaustive, the author says. So he, he talks about, let's just look at them individually. First of all, in uh, verse 19, he looks at uh, adultery. Adultery. Now, just... Uh, just up front, adultery is, is sex outside of the bonds of marriage, if you're married. Um, fornication is sex before marriage. So it can refer to any kind of sexual activity. Uh, but this one, adultery, uh, the first couple of sins have to do with the sexual nature. And uh, it can involve married and unmarried people. So that's adultery. Uncleanness. He says, uncleanness. Where am I looking at? I got my list mixed up. Do I have the right one here? Yeah, it's there. Fornication, uncleanness. Okay. Uncleanness. That extends to one's immoral thoughts. Lasciviousness. 
That refers to a complete lack of restraint in sexual matters. And that's where we are in this country. No restraint. The next two works of the flesh relate to corrupt religion. In verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, corrupt religion. So, the word translated witchcraft literally means the use of drugs. Pharmakia refers to the use of drugs. But it came to mean, in that time, as best as they understand, it came to mean the preparation and application of magical devices. So, you have idolatry, which is basically putting God behind an idol and putting an idol in front of God. And this was common among the pagans of this day. They had images everywhere you went, you would see them. Um, images for, this, for the Caesar of Rome, and you were supposed to stop and take a little, sniff, a little pinch of incense and put it on the fire. And That's stuff you would see people doing throughout the streets of, of uh, any Roman colonized area. It was just very commonplace. People saw it everywhere. You'd have to say Caesar is Lord, you know, and that's what they started to do to Christians. If they didn't say Caesar is Lord, they would persecute them. That's what happened shortly after uh, all of this. So there's idolatry, and then there's that witchcraft. And witchcraft, that's what we see all over the place. Just this morning, uh, just having Lucas watch some TV while the other kids were getting ready, and sometimes we do that to sort of uh, corral them, you know, and let them watch something here, and then take care of the kids over here. And if you get done with your cereal, you can do this and that, you know. And I, I still do Saturday morning cartoons, and I grew up doing that, and that was nice. But you've got to watch what you let kids watch. He was watching a Care Bears thing. I had to pitch that thing in the trash. We walked into the room, Lucas is watching Care Bears, and there's this uh, demon popping out of something. And uh, a lot of these toys and books that they get, they're doing magical potions and spells. Anything that's Disney is going to have all kinds of magic. And um, I don't think, I think most kids never take it seriously, never do much with it, but there are people who grow up and get into witchcraft and magic and incantation. You say, how do you know? I've, I've been around. I've hung out in the houses of women who called themselves witches and stuff like that back before I was saved. And, and there's also a lot of, uh, you know, I better not go into too much detail, but that stuff is wicked. Okay, it's wicked. It's a work of the flesh. Christian has no business at all being involved in witchcraft, tarot cards, anything like that. Now, the remaining vices listed in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21 are social in nature. So, uh, hatred, variance, emulations, and so on. Hatred gives rise to variance. So, when you're at variance with somebody, means you're at odds with them, you can't get along with people because you're, you're flesh. That old sin nature. Emulations. That's a misdirected zeal. Now, have you ever gotten mad at somebody? And the more that you sit alone, and my mom would say, you stew on it. <clears throat> you, know, you know what she means by that, stewing on it. The more that you sit at the house, and you're thinking about somebody, and you're not feeling love toward them, and, uh, and you're starting to think about how you can't get along with that person, or how they can't get along with you, and they're difficult to deal with, and the more you stew on that, you start to work on emulations. You start to get this misdirected zeal. And it's just boiling, right? And uh, it'll just eventually boil over the pot if you don't watch it. And it can happen to anybody. It can happen to Christians. Anybody can get in the flesh like this. 
So uh, <clears throat> that's misdirected zeal. And you start thinking, man, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to fix them, you know. That's that thing right there, emulations. While wrath refers to the outburst of anger. That's the pot finally boiling over. The word translated strife seems to indicate selfish displays. You know, there wouldn't be problems in any organization if it weren't for selfishness and pride and so on. But uh, uh, seditions, that refers to division. The word there, seditions, division among governments, among homes, among uh, businesses and in churches. Uh, there's conflict, causes division, and then the heresies, that's talking about the separation of groups. And when heresies occur in churches or in denominations, it results in divisions, which sometimes a division needs to be made. But uh, he's talking about the divisions that come from the flesh, and that's obviously not a good thing. So the list ends with envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and all of that is referring to drunken parties. You know, uh, I guess the envyings may not, but the others do. So Paul made it clear that these sins are representative, right? Because he says in such like, uh, he said that, well, let's see. And they which do such things. So he's saying such things, it's just representative. He didn't list all of them. And then he says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of of God. Now, can Christians do those things? Yes, then they do. Yes, they can. Uh, Christian teenagers can do those things. And it doesn't mean that they're not saved. Christians can sin. Christians can sin grievously. Teenagers are notorious for not having self-control. They're not fully developed. The brain isn't done. Uh, so when we see those kind of things in a Christian teenager, we think, well, they must not have got saved. No. They're out of the will of God. They're backslidden. Yes, they can do those things. If you walk in the flesh, you can do those things. Yes. And what, what the author is implying here is that a Christian's life will not be characterized by that. Yes, your life can be. Now, over the entire course of the life? I don't know. But a Christian absolutely can do those things. However, this characterizes the lost world. And we, there's a lot of confusion that's caused in this world by Christians who are acting like the lost world around them. We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to be set apart for God and to be different. Is there forgiveness for a Christian who, who, does, who does these kind of things? Listen, if you have any doubt that Paul is, hasn't already said that a Christian can do these things, in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such a one. So he's saying if a brother gets carnal and gets in the flesh, you who are spiritual and walking in the spirit, help restore him. So yes, brethren, fall into these kind of things. We have all kinds of marital problems in churches today because men and women are walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit. So it does not mean, however, that the lost world, like these kind of people, are beyond hope or beyond being saved. So, there you go. Yeah. Look at Moses. Uh, Moses was backslidden for 40 years, and God called him to do something. 
Yeah. 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 Mo- Moses grabbed a hold of that that Egyptian and beat him to death. Yep. Right. So if you say if you say a character the Christian is not characterized by these things, and if he is, then it must mean he's not saved. It's just not biblical. And what that amounts to is at the end of the life, what you're trusting is your own works rather than Jesus Christ. We just don't want to go there. That's it. That, you, guys, I can't go into it too much, but what that is, that's the influence of Lordship Salvation, John MacArthur's ministry in this country, as well as John Piper. And then who's the guy from Britain who's up in Cleveland? Um, uh, he's got a TV ministry. He's got that accent. It'll come to me. Um, him, as well as today, Vody Bauckham, black preacher, uh, um, the teacher that's on television, uh, redeeming your mind. Boy, I just I don't think about these guys that often anymore, so their names slip me. There's a there's a few big name preachers that have been at the top of things in this country, and they've been teaching lordship salvation, which is a heresy. What they teach is if he's not lord of all, he's not lord at all, and that's just not true. It's not biblical. It's not accurate. So they teach, basically, if your life is not characterized by these things, then you have reason to doubt your salvation. And, uh, and what it leads is it leads to despair. Amen. And believe me, I know whereof I speak. So at the end, these guys are called reformers, reformed theology. There's been a reformed resurgence in this country. And, uh, and what it leads to is it's the same at the end of the thing, at the final analysis, with a Catholic or with a Reformed person? A Reformed person, when Martin Luther came out of the Catholic Church and kicked off the Reformation, he did that in Germany. He was a Reformer in Germany. Reforming meaning they wanted to fix the Catholic Church. It didn't work. So they just came out and created the Protestant movement. You had Martin Luther in Germany. You had John Calvin in uh, a Swiss reformer, and he, he was in Geneva. You had John Knox in Scotland, and you had some other, some other men. And uh, in, in England, you eventually had the Church of England come out of the Church of Rome and, and start the, the Church of England. And all of those reformers basically had a Catholic hangover. And so what you, what you have at the end of their theology is this, that... For a reformer, you're either elected to be saved or you're elected to be damned. That's what they believe. God, before the foundation of the world, chose to save you. And there's a bunch of people that he didn't choose to save, so therefore there's double predestination and they go to hell. And if he chose to save you, then you're going to be saved. No matter what, you have eternal security. However... If you're, if you're truly saved, this is what they say. Which, what does that even mean, if you're really saved? If you're truly saved. Look, you're even, either saved or you're not saved. And you know. You can know because of belief. You can know, the Bible says. But they say, we don't know until we get to the end. Because if you're truly saved, then your life will be characterized by a life of holiness and not walking in the flesh. And so at the end of the whole thing, what you have is a bunch of Reformed people who won't tell you this, but they're scared to death that they're not one of the elect. Because every time they sin, they say, maybe I'm not one of the elect because I'm sinning like this. And if I was one of the elect, then I wouldn't be sinning like this. No, you have two natures. 
You are capable of doing stuff that's worse than what the Gentiles are doing, and the devil is on you, and you can do stuff that's worse than you ever did before you got saved, especially if you got saved when you were young. And so they say at the end of their life, I don't know, and they die in despair, many of them, because I don't know if I'm saved. Guess what? That's the same way that a Catholic dies. They say that no one can know. And if you do, that's presumption and that's pride. And you cannot say that you can know. When the Bible says, 1 John 5.13, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? So, what I'm talking about, I know what I'm talking about. And I can pick pick up on it when I see it. Let me say this. Let me correct what's said there. Your life and my life should not be characterized by the marks of the flesh. Not that it will not be, but it should not be. Your life should be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at next. Whether it will be is up to you. doesn't mean that you'll be lost if you don't walk in the Spirit. just means you'll be miserable. And you'll lose rewards. Yes. But when it says that these people have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, and at the end of verse 21, that's talking about the kingdom of God is like the spear or the... The domain of Christ's uh, kingdom, which is spiritual right now. That means that these people are not ruled over by Christ. He is not their Lord. So they, they are not within the domain of the kingdom of God, which is spiritual right now. It will be physical in the millennium, but right now it's spiritual. For you, you are in the kingdom of God. If you're born again, you're in the kingdom of God. You're in the domain of his rule and authority And if you walk in the flesh, you'll lose rewards in the millennial kingdom. That's what will happen for you. Okay? So these people are not going to heaven that are marked by these things. They could get saved. The worst of them could get saved. And if you do those things, if you walk in the flesh, you and I will lose rewards in the kingdom. Also, maybe be chastised. Oh, yes. And definitely. Along with that. You're absolutely right. That's right. Even to the point of where the Lord just takes you out of this life. So, um, all right. I think I'll just leave it right there. If there's any, is there any question about that? I don't like. I don't get it, or I I don't see where you're coming from, or is that biblical? Anything like that? Like, read Romans eight in your own private reading if you have questions about that. Read Romans eight. All right. So we'll go on in Galatians six, and then we'll look at the fruit of the spirit. So they that are Christ, uh, excuse me, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now let's go through these different manifestations of the fruit. The author here says, in contrast to the works of the flesh, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit is produced by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we can't do it, but He can. This does not mean that we have no role, however... For it's only as we submit to Christ and seek His will that the Spirit produces these uh, qualities in us. So notice the single form of fruit. That's not a a mistranslation. That's singular in the Greek language as well as in the English. And it emphasizes a unity or a coherence in the life of the Spirit. That is, if you walk in the Spirit, He will produce these things in you. And that's how you can know if you're walking in the Spirit. But they're listed separately, and they need to be studied separately. So the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, it is love. 
And that love that we've been talking about in 1 John uh, over the course of February is this love here. It's the love of 1 Corinthians 13, and it can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. So, Christ-like love, as Paul explained elsewhere, is selfless, it's unconditional, and it's unending. Think about that in a marriage relationship. So whenever I do marital counseling, and for the rest of my life, whenever I do marital counseling, I'll tell the young couple that's getting married, go read 1 Corinthians 13 and study it. That's what your love for each other should be like. Selfless, unconditional, and unending. Right now, I'm loved like that from my wife, and I'm so thankful. Because I need, I need unconditional love. Because sometimes I blow it. And uh, I need unending love. I need to know that I can trust my heart to her, and she's not going to let me down. And selfless love. She's a perfect example of it. I'll brag on her while she's not here. She's very selfless. She's just thinking of the kids, thinking of the house, thinking of me, and all this kind of stuff. And the last thing I want to do is walk home and be like, what's for dinner? You know, that was perfect timing. Come home, what's for dinner? You know, why isn't this place clean and all that kind of stuff? So she does such a wonderful job. And then joy, joy, love joy. What is, what is joy? Can somebody help me out? I'm doing all the talking again. I think it's because I talk so much. Love joy. What's that joy all about? Happiness. Happiness. Okay. Happiness. And then uh, there's a, it's a God-given thing, right? So it only comes from God. It's uh, inner contentment. And this, this, this joy is not affected by or not changed by outward circumstances. No matter what happens, we're still going to have this joy if we're walking in the Spirit. Boy, that's something. This world's looking for happiness. They're looking for contentment. And they can't find it. They try to find it in the bottle of a bottle of a bottle. Or in a bottle of pills, or in a late night show, or one thing or another, trying to find it, can't find it, earning another dollar. and Boy, but we got this if we walk in the Spirit. And then peace. Peace. That's the inner calmness, the author says. So love, joy, peace. And that, you can't put a price tag on that. There's, this is the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. Uh, there should be a calmness to a Christian's emotions. We should be level and even. Um, our thoughts, they rest on the assurance that God is too good to be unkind and too wise to make mistakes. I like that. I like that quote. That's Grow Mackey, Stand Fast in Liberty. I'm going to read that again. The inner calmness of emotions and the thoughts which rests on the assurance that God is too good to be unkind and too wise to make <clears throat> mistakes. So long-suffering peace, uh, peace and long-suffering. So, you know, to suffer someone is to put up with them. So the fruit of the Spirit will give you this ability to be able to put up with other people, 
It's a patience. And it says it's especially in the face of opposition. So maybe in your home with your, with your teens, sorry Grace, parents need long-suffering to put up with their toddlers, you know. Lucas right now, he turned four, and he's about ready to turn five in July. But it's like he's four going on 13. The strangest thing has happened. I don't know what it is. It's like he's a little teenager inside of there. Some of the things that he's saying and doing. Um, Yeah, like they grow up too fast. Yeah. My mom, would, she said the same thing. She said that kids don't get to be kids anymore for very long. It just seems that way. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and wives definitely need this with their husband. Uh, patience in the, in the face of opposition, you know, and uh, young people getting married and living together and finding out that, uh, you know, he was a whole lot cuter and everything when I didn't have to pick up his dirty socks and put up with his ill manners and stuff like that so need long suffering gentleness <clears throat> so long suffering gentleness let's see if i can put this over here what's gentleness refer to when do we need that okay yep yep kindness so one one who's Tender, has a tender regard for the interests and feelings of others. Boy, a pastor needs that, doesn't he? pastor needs to be that way. Um, need to be gentle with people. I talked about that recently. God had to remind me one day that you're dealing with my children. You realize that. You're dealing with my children. So, serving the Lord must not strive, but be gentle, the Bible says. <clears throat> and you're a servant of the Lord too, you know. The people that you serve in your life uh, doesn't mean you got to be a pushover. It doesn't mean you have to be feminine. Um, yesterday, we went to that skating rink, and there's these guys behind there. And the guys who are behind there are hockey players. And you can tell because a lot of them, their accent is not American. They're coming from the Ukraine and Russia and who, who knows where else. And you know what? They're manly, masculine men behind there. <clears throat> and I'm not saying don't be masculine or don't be manly. It's kind of refreshing to be around them. You know, and they saw me, and they obviously, they looked at my build and the way I carry myself, and they thought, he must be a hockey player. So they gave me hockey skates instead of regular skates, and those things killed my ankles. So, uh, no, but it, it doesn't mean not to be manly. It just means to be gentle. Um, I think it used to be modeled better for young men than what it is today. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard people describe it this way, uh, and, and there's an absence of men, uh, male role models, absolutely. Yeah, and that's not the problem of what's going on here, but that's what's going on out there. But they say, you know, when you go to work, you've got to be, you know, in charge and do what you've got to do. But when you come home, you know, a man ought to be a teddy bear at home with his family. So... Uh, goodness, so gentleness, goodness, goodness, and uh, talking about, they say, um, well, just overall being good, nothing wrong with that, the world will call you a goody two-shoes, and then what you got there, you got faith, 
gentleness, goodness, faith. If you feel like you're low on faith, I'm going to talk about that in my message this morning. If you feel like you're low on faith, what's the answer? Well, walk in the Spirit, because it's a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, You might not have the faith for something that God wants to do in your life. You need that faith. He won't work without your faith. Well, you've got to walk in the Spirit. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, right? That's faith-building stuff. Faith, I've got to get away from saying stuff. Faith-building truth um, should be understood as faithfulness and following the Lord and being reliable. There's another way to think about it. Meekness, meekness, faith, meekness, and temperance. What's meekness? Humbleness, yeah. Yep, humbleness. Uh, anything else? Does it mean that we're, we're a pushover? We're a doormat? Nope. And then temperance. Self-control. I like to hear my dad talk about temperance. In moderation. And, uh, yep. And then you start talking about little Debbies and stuff and get him under conviction. But uh, against such there is no law. You know what Paul's saying? See, there's just so much in there. There's no way you can get through that passage and really do it justice in 30 or 40 minutes. But <clears throat> you know what he's saying? Against such there is no law. That is, no law needs to be made against those things. There was a, an illustration in here about a person on Coney Island uh, up in New England area. Uh, what, where is that? Brooklyn? Coney Island? He was riding a unicycle on the sidewalks in Coney Island, and somebody, uh, a, a, a cop, you know, working this, working the streets, gave him a ticket for it, and he got mad and sued him for uh, several million dollars because there was a law in the books about riding a bicycle, which is defined as a bike with two or three wheels, but not a law about a unicycle. So he technically wasn't breaking the law, and he got a bunch of money out of the city. And so they had to make another law against uh, unicycles, which was the point of it. You know what? When you're doing right, there's no law needed. There's no law against doing these things. And when you walk in the Spirit, you will fulfill the righteousness of the law. And that's the only way we can do it. It's the only way. Walk in the Spirit. You say, what's that mean? You say, Holy Spirit, I want you to have control of my body. That's what that means. And yield to Him when He's dealing with you. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You for this Sunday school lesson this morning. I thank You for these that are here and Lord, how we need uh, the, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit in this church, how I need it in my own life and ministry. And I just pray for all of us, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would just um, reveal these things to us this week. Show us in our own individual lives. I know that you're able. In Jesus' name, amen.